my brother has had some pretty bad jobs in his day, uh, not least of all having to be my younger brother, which I can assure you is a nasty ordeal. Uh, but if you were to ask him, I reckon he would say the worst was about three or four Christmases ago, he spent a month working in HMV. But the month in question was the month of December. Now, you'd have thought, that's not too bad, particularly for him. He was a musician, he loved music of all kinds. But when you go in at Christmas time, if you're just a punter, you go in at Christmas time and you only have to listen to Slade, Mariah Carey and John Lennon sing it through once. And it fills you with joy and it makes you feel happy and it lifts your spirits. But when it's 5pm and you've had to listen to each of those songs and many other ones at least 12 times through that day and you have been working 17 days straight and it's been the same music on the loop, then the very last thing you feel is full of hope. You want to chuck yourself under a bus. You see, Christmas songs, they're not growers, are they? You know those kind of songs that you, you hear them start off with, hmm, and then as you listen to them more, they get bigger and bigger and better and better and better. Christmas songs aren't like that, are they? Christmas songs, basically the first time you hear them, is as good as it gets. And afterwards you listen to the sentimental lyrics and just the and you realise that it just doesn't marry up with life at all, in the slightest. It's silly, sentimental, wishful feeling, and war is not over if we want it to be. It just isn't. And so you realise that actually Christmas songs, no, no, once will do, thank you very much. Because they can't really help me when I'm facing my credit card bill after Christmas. They cannot deal with the fact that I am lonely. They can't make my kids get on with each other. So can I tell you, a great test of a Christmas song would be, do I want to sing it more and more? Do I want to take it in? more and more and let it consume me and be part of my heartbeat. Because look at Mary's song here. Can you see it? Have you got your Bibles open at Luke chapter 1? You must please have your Bibles open. Can you see it here? Here is Mary's song, and I'll talk to you about how she would have rehearsed this again and again and again later. And Mary said, <laughs> I don't know how you say this, it said that Mary said, we've turned it into a song, and it's one of the most famous songs, very, uh, yeah, certainly the Magnificat is where if you're from a Catholic background you'll know. Look what she does. She, she takes it into her and she says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Come on in, matey. You're very welcome. That's it. Daniel, take your coat with you, fella. Shoot through to junior church if you would. Come on, the pair of you. You're very welcome. Go on, down you go. That's it, watch the stage. Go on, my love. Well done, you look beautiful in that nice new coat. Well done. Good stuff. Out you go, out you go, go on. That's it. Well done. And tune back in. Are we ready? Brilliant, okay. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Do you see what she's saying? She's not talking about a peripheral on the outside, so it's, oh, this helps me as I do my shopping. No, she's talking about something that's gone deep inside of her. We're talking about deep soul satisfaction that affects every area of her life. She wants to get it deeper and deeper inside. She wants it to eclipse all the other stuff and can I tell you, if you were back then, you'd have seen that she was carrying a fair way to burden. To be Mary wasn't easy. 
It wasn't sort of pretty and sanitised. It was down, ugly, dirty and deep. She was a redneck in a very small village in Nowheresville. She'd just been pregnant, which would often mean that you would get driven out of the, uh, the village for getting pregnant outside of wedlock. So she's got problems. And yet, my soul glorifies, in another version, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. She has something to sing about that changes everything. And she's not sitting here saying, I found this tune that just pushes my buttons, and it's like, whistle while you work. No, she hasn't found that. Because that can't hit you deep within, can it? I've not found a code of ethics that can help me face dark times and improve me as a people, a person, which I've in some sense taken up. I've not turned over a new leaf. No, I've got something to sing about, says Mary, at any time and in any situation that transcends all those situations, and it's not because I've taken something up or taken something in, it's because... I've been taken up, and I've been taken in. I haven't turned over a new leaf. I've had my whole life turned around, and so my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So what has done this for her? What has done this for her that going to HMV will never do? having plenty of kids, and even if all your Christmas plans, and I'm guessing particularly you ladies, you're planning like mad for Christmas, aren't you? Going to make it the best one ever. Going to have the best trimmings, the best turkey, the best tinsel, all of it's going to be in place. And every year we really do believe that that will lead to a happy time, don't we? You know, Mary says, I've got something so much better. If you get this today, I don't care what you've done this week or what you haven't done. What you're facing or what you're not facing, please... Please get this. It can mean that you can have a joy that no situation or failure can rob from you. It just can't take it away. My soul glorifies the Lord. Could you click up the slide? You can see it here. There we are. Songs for Christmas. This one we're calling Rejoicing in God, my Saviour. It will change everything. So I'm going to do, very pathetically, an attempt to try and show you how amazing this is. Okay, two questions. Okay, why does Mary sing? And second of all, who else gets to sing too? Why does Mary sing and who else gets to sing? Well, we can see it here in verses 39 to 49. So let's, let's read it first point. Here we go. At that time, Mary read, and, uh, sorry, got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. Ouch. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she explained, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as, she, uh, as, soon as the sound of the, your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Oh, let's read the next bit. Sorry, yeah, take it up to 14, 13, verse 49. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit, spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now, she, remember, she's already aware that something special is going on here, and the clue to that was the fact an angel turned up. Okay, if an angel turns up, it's a good day. If it's the angel Gabriel, it's about the best day you're ever going to get. It tells us that something significant was going on here. God was breaking into the world that he had made. Now, I'm guessing already, um, Alice and uh, uh, Angie, as they both prepare to have a baby, they're sort of like getting all excited. I wonder what aspirations they've got for their youngster. Now, I don't know whether you two are pushy parents or not, but my guess is that even the most pushy of parents wouldn't have lifted the aspirations for their unborn child to be the one who brings in God's kingdom rule over all the universe. So can you sort of feel for Mary in this one? She's possibly a little bit under pressure. Here you go, Mary. God. Now get on with it. That'd be quite nerve-wracking, wouldn't you? You see, God is breaking in with a total renewal, a total upheaval of all that it means to live in this world. But he's doing it not with... He's doing it quietly, in a nowhere place with nowhere people. And through it, he's going to do something that will explode across the globe so that nowadays there are billions of people who name the name of Jesus as the ultimate Lord. And Elizabeth gets this too. So Mary's coming to tell her she's pregnant. She walks in, the baby leaps. Who am I, says Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord? Did you get that? Elizabeth calls Jesus, this unborn baby, Lord. That's the name for God. He's an embryo. And she says, the mother of my Lord. See, Jesus isn't even born yet but he's being worshipped as the Lord. Isn't that a sign of things to come? Of course it is. So Mary, she bursts into song. She's a teenager, so I can imagine it was probably quite sort of high school musical-esque, but a little bit more holy, and probably a better seller, something like that. And the essence of the song is that she cannot believe that God would be mindful of her, would do this for her. You see, she's nothing in the eyes of the world. She's got no credit and no value. She's got no power and influence. She hasn't even got a proper name to be recognised. She's from this nowhere place. She's got nothing to offer the world and she's got nothing to offer God. All she's got is a big plastic carrier bag full of her worries and anxieties. I'm nothing but, verse 48 and 49, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. I've done nothing to merit it. I've got no leverage over God, she says. I've got nothing to offer, but because of God's action, I'm getting a new status. I'm nobody, but I'm now blessed eternally. In the eyes of the world, I'm nothing, but in the light of eternity, everybody's going to say, Whoa! You have got such a privilege and a blessing. And can I tell you that if you don't know God, you need to know that God is a God who bestows blessing and dignity and respect upon people. Some of you will know the Katy Perry song. You're like a firework. I reckon it's going to be Christmas number one this year. You two know it, don't you? In fact, you were singing it in the back of my car. 
You, you get the, it's got such an upbeat song, hasn't it? And the chorus goes, and you watch the video, and it gives it this. And she's written it for people who are feeling empty and low and of no accounts, who are not recognised, who are nothing. And she said, "Listen, you're a firework. Go show them what you're worth." Now I think that's going to be the Christmas number one, and it's got a cool beat with it. But she's written it for people who say, "I'm nothing," and she's saying, "Don't worry, you really are a firework. Go show them what you're worth." You've got something in you that's of value. Just let it out. But the difficulty is, is I don't think she thought much about her image. Because what is a firework? Well, it's things you buy once a year that you set on fire and let them go bang. um, And then move on to the next one, hoping it was better than the last. What is a firework? Something we light up with a match. And it seems to me as if she's saying in her song... and she's messed up for all the, the whole stack of reasons, Katy Perry. And I think she means well, but she's leading people down a blind alley because she's basically saying, you have something inside of you that you just let out and you'll shine. Which is all very well if you have got something to let out and shine, but what if you're like me? See, I'm not one in a thousand, I'm not one in a million, I'm one in six billion people here. And if I try to find my worth in me then I'm going to be really disappointed. You see, Katy Perry's singing, don't worry, there's something inside of you that is of great worth. You've just got to let it out and people will affirm you and say you're of value. Can I tell you a better Christmas number one? Is what Mary's saying. I am somebody of humble estate who is one in six billion, nobody important. But I haven't had to find something from inside to give me value and worth. Someone has come from outside and bestowed upon me a worth, a burning worth, that doesn't just fizzle and die out, but will burn forever because of his grace to me. I can't merit it. It's God's mercy, and it will burn in me forever. How did Mary get this? Do you see this? This is wonderful. I think that song, although it sounds nice and it means well, it's just not good news. But this gospel is... That's the ones coming from outside. How did she get it? Verse 45, can you see it there? Blessed, says Elizabeth, is she, that's Mary, who has believed that the Lord, what the Lord has said to her, will be accomplished. You see, the only thing that you need to get is that God can do this for you. That's all that God expects of us at Christmas time, is just to take him at his word. So this is, this is it. Believe God is your good news. And so can I ask you, are you doing that? Is that the thing that sets you off in the morning? Is that the thing that orientates your life? Because that's what it shows. Sitting in church on a Sunday doesn't show that you believe it. Even singing loudly, occasionally, as good as that is, and I want you to sing loudly and, and rejoice in God, but that's not it. Are you believing? Are you standing on this and saying, this is my good news? I have a worth given to me from outside, although I don't deserve it, although I'm not really anything much. I don't need to wait for that one moment in my life where I've shown that I'm worth something and spark. No, no. God has declared forever. You're in my kingdom and you're of value. Now that is something worth singing about, isn't it? Do you get why she's singing? Him and what he's done, bringing his sovereign grace, his sovereign rule through his son. And it's when you get that that you'll rejoice. That's really what it is. 
So if that's what she gets, why Mary can sing, well, who else gets to sing? And this, can I tell you, these are some of the most scary and frightening verses in the Bible. So here's this teenager who is aware that God is wonderfully gracious, but at the same time, some people miss out on his grace. And we can see why here. So secondly, who else gets to sing? Let's read verses 50 through to 54. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. We'll read the next one as well. To Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Now this is very vivid here. Mercy is available to all. But whether you get it or not depends on how you respond to God. Now it's very specific here, isn't it? Now this is going to help us really grasp who is going to get God's mercy. Now it's surprising too because most people think that the people who get God's mercy, if people are good, God will give you blessing. If people are bad, you'll be brought low, scattered and sent away. Good people get it, bad people don't, which is great if you're a good person, but for most of us normal people who haven't treated God as we should have done, then we're basically stuffed if that's our only hope. But actually, no, we've been told something different here. We've been told, hold on, well, let's see what we've been told, let's have a look. She recounts in verses 50 through to 54 the way God has always acted in his Bible. Have you noticed how they're all past tense? This is what he has done. He has done this. He has done this. He has done this. This is how God always interacts with people. So if you were to pick up your Bible and wring it out like that, it's just the way God works. It's what he does. This is how he works with people. And what is the answer? Well, there's two groups of people according to this. It's, well, group A, and let me call them the humble, and group B, let me call them the proud. Group A, get grace, and can I tell you, group B, get venom. It takes a lot to get at God angry. In fact, the Bible tells us that he is slow to anger. But this is the only group of people who he acts against. In fact, he opposes the... He's against people who are in group B. Let's have a look at them. Okay, so group A, what can we see? Well, it's shown there in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. I'm not talking scared witless here. That's the problem. We only have one word for, Eng- for fear in English. It's, it's not that. It's reverence. It's people who realise, I'm not dealing with an equal. I'm dealing with somebody who is rightfully and properly. Kev, if you sit up straight, you'll find it harder to fall asleep. Good man. Well done. Good job. That's it. And some of you others who are struggling to fall asleep are also giggling at Kev. I know who you are. I can see all of you from here. Remember that. Okay. So, no, no, fear me. Fear. That's not what it's saying here. Fear. Okay. So his mercy goes to people who fear him, who say, I'm not dealing with an equal here. I'm dealing with somebody who's bigger and greater and more scary than I am. I will reverence him. I will have awe and respect for him. Next one. Humble. Verse 52. He has lifted up the humble. People who know that they're nothing in the eyes of the world. People who know that they're never going to be on a music video and get to sing about how cool I am and look at my bling and look at my Bentley that I get to drive around. 
No. I'm never going to be in Hello Magazine. Mary knew she was never going to be in Hello Magazine. She was wise enough not to want to be in there and say, look, I am somebody who's arrived. No, there's somebody who's humble, not just in terms of worldly wealth, but in terms of inner attitude. Humble. I know that I have a need. And that comes out in the third way that they're seen. Look, this, this first group, verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. People who are empty and they know it. Contrast that with group B. These the proud. You can see it there in verse 51. He performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. That word inmost thoughts, it carries the, it's actually more close to the idea of your inner heart orientation, your imagination, the way that your self-image, the way that you see you, you see yourself. So he's saying there's people out there who just think they've arrived and they're everything. They think they've all got it together. And what does he say he's going to do with them? Well, that, that's the, the ones who are rich. Before that, those who are, in verse 51, those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, he's going to, they think they've got it all together and he's actually going to show how much they're going to be scattered. Next up, rulers. Can you see this? He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. The rulers, people who think they're in control and can handle their life, as if they, they had this idea that I've been bored and uh, bored that this is my life, my ship, I will steer it, I'm in control. And no matter how many things come and knock them, no, 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 I've got a strategy, I'll get through it. I'll take out another loan, I'll change my job, I'll move my house, I'll get into a different relationship. I can carry this one, I can deal with it. I haven't got a messy life, I've just got a complicated life. But I can handle it. And the Lord says, people who are supposedly on their throne... I will bring them down. And then there's the verse that Cathy mentioned there. He has helped his... Oh, sorry, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And sometimes he sends the rich away empty by letting them pursue more riches. The more you have, the more you... It's as if he's given us an object lesson. Hello? Try and get more stuff. Try and get more stuff. And you see whether it will satisfy... You think you're rich and you think you've got more, but actually you're increasingly empty. And so who gets his blessing? Who gets his forgiveness? Who gets his salvation? Who gets the joy of knowing God as their Lord and Saviour? Answer, those who know they need it. It's not that the good people are in and the bad people are out. It's that all the bad people who know they need it enough are in, but all the bad people who think they're all okay and they're proud, they miss out on the blessing. Everyone can have it, but some think they don't need it, and when they don't think they don't need it, they forfeit the joy of knowing Jesus as Lord and exchange it for a life of always trying to get it themselves and never reach it. Always trying to pay. Always working. Never. And it's tireless, isn't it? And to those who say, I'll stand. Sorry. To those who say, I can't stand. To those who say, I can't hold it together. To those who say, I can't feed myself. He says, now, in some sense, and then in eternity forever, I'll make you stand. I'll get you together. Put you back piece by piece. And I'll satisfy you. And to those who say, I can rule, I can make sense of my Christmas. I know the best way to get joy this Christmas. To those who say, I can hold it together. To those who say, 
I can fill my needs, he says, I will bring you down, scatter you, and leave you empty. Now, until you get, click on, but if you don't click on and turn back to me forever, in a lost eternity. Mary got this. She'd been brought up in synagogue and she'd have been taught it since she was knee-guided to the grasshopper. She'd have, she could have t- take you, and I could take you now if we had the time, I'd love to, to all the examples of this in the Old Testament about how God had always dealt with people. To the proud cocky kings, he flattens. To the lowly useless wasters, he lifts them up and says, look what I can do with them. And do you realise what this is saying? This is basically saying, if you're struggling to rejoice today, Admittedly, it could be because you're tired and you're out too late last night. Or, Matthew's like up this like, I won't be caught again. It could be that you're too tired. But it could be that you walk into church impress me. Steve, it better be a good one. I'll only sing if you push me buttons. That's pride. Isn't it? If you struggle to rejoice today, it's not God's fault. It's not my fault. It's not the musician's fault probably because you're holding on to some sense that you really can get through this life and you only need God just a little bit. Did Mary get it? He's seen my humble estate. He's let me see I'm stuffed. And he's saved me. We need to fight for that, don't we? Perhaps if... I notice if if you've recently been a believer, if you've recently come to faith in Jesus, and you're like, whoa, God loves me. You don't struggle to rejoice, but then after a while, you sort of sit in church long enough, and you've learned a few verses from the Bible. Maybe you've turned up at something that you didn't really want to, so you feel like it's treasure in heaven, and I'm doing all right, and you suddenly become smug and proud. Isn't that our biggest enemy? I know what Steve's going to preach on this Christmas, because I've been here before. Isn't that an enemy? Pride. So if you're trying to find your ultimate hope and your ultimate joy in either the fact that you know what's coming up in the services or that you have got a perfect planned Christmas or that the family's actually getting on well or that you've got a great Christmas tree or that you've spent more on your kids this Christmas and they're going to be really happy or that you're going to see the family for the first time in ages, then can I tell you, he will blow up your throne every time. He will explode it in the hope that you'll come to your senses and realise what Mary knew. He hates pride, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're scattered now and you know that you've been pursuing and chasing after stupid stuff, and you call out to him and say, I want you to be the thing that rejoices my heart, then he'll gather you. He'll make you a worshipper. How do you know he'll do that? Well, it's because we know better than Mary, don't we? You see, Mary knew that this 
baby that she got within her would one day be praised and worshipped and was the Lord, but she didn't really know how. She didn't know that him who would grow to be the most humble man who has ever had a heartbeat would be scattered and torn limb from limb. That he who was the rightful ruler who was supposed to be on the throne would be cast down as a criminal. That he who had lived in eternity, past, present and future, if it's possible to have that, as the most satisfied and though the most full would give it away and cry out from a cross, I thirst. He would do all of that not because of his own pride. He would go through all of that not because he got it coming but so that people like you and me who should have it coming won't have to face it but will be gathered. Even Mary got this. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. You see, he's the true firework, isn't he? He's the true one of value. He is the ultimate one of worth. And that's why Mary's such a great model of faith for the likes of you and me. Because she looked at him and said, Wow! Are you already thinking about your friends this Christmas who need to hear it? Be careful. When you talk about people's pride and you sit and start unpacking pride, what do you start doing? I wish such and such had been here today. No, that's pride on your part. And I do wish they'd been here because they're not hearing this. This is God's word. They're going to suffer this week. They'll be robbed of joy. He's still faithful. Maybe we need to go and tell him what you heard me say today from God's word. That's up to you. But can you see here, I said I'd tell you about how she sung it. You know, this has come down to us because Luke, who wrote this down, he did an account. He went around like an investigative journalist and he asked people, he said, what happened? Tell me all about it. The likelihood is, is that, we don't know this for sure, but the likelihood is, is that Luke actually sat, sat down with an elderly Mary and she would have talked him through what happened and she would have recited this song to him. And the reason she could recite it was because she let it loose in her heart day after day. See, some wise person once said that for every look you take at yourself, look ten times at the Lord. But we don't do it. We probably do the opposite if we're lucky. Every ten looks of me, I do one of God's. No wonder we struggle to have joy. But Mary got the idea she would have sung this every day. She'd have said it to herself every day. She would have reminded herself of what was true every day. And every day, rather than being introspective, always looking inwards, oh, woe is me, aren't my problems terribly big? Are my circumstances overwhelmingly? She'd have been whoosh, up with her eyes. My soul glorifies the Lord and that is my reality. So are we going to rejoice as we try to sing this song of the cross which we're about to do before we share in this together? Are we going to rejoice? It will be as we do what Mary did which was just to gaze on the splendour of the love and mercy of, his God, of her God who he is and what he has done for the likes of her and for us if we'll receive it. Let's stand together and sing. Four, I think there's four verses, aren't there?